Hello, and welcome to Film Unhinged. My name is John Gillens, and on today's episode, I am going to discuss a little bit of my to-watch list, a movie that I've seen this past week that I'm excited to tell you how much I didn't like. Um, and in addition to that, I am going to have my feature commentary surrounding the movie Solo, A Star Wars Story. But first, if you have any feedback or suggestions on what to review for the coming weeks, you can reach me at filmmakerjohn, that's J-O-N-John, at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at filmunhinged, and please rate and review me on Apple iTunes. You can also find me on Stitcher and Google Play. And every rating and review really helps elevate the podcast, so if you would do so, I would greatly appreciate it. Now, on to my watch list. I saw a couple movies this week. And uh, besides Solo, the one that I'm going to get to in my feature commentary, the one I wanted to talk to you first about is Upgrade. And it is a movie that just came out tonight. This is Thursday, uh, May 31st that I'm recording this podcast. And I just left the theater from watching Upgrade. And honestly, I wasn't expecting a whole lot. And I'm going to try to keep this spoiler free. So feel free to listen throughout the entirety of it. Just know that there's a lot of specifics that I will just allude to and not actually pinpoint because I don't want to spoil it for anybody, although I don't think anybody should watch this movie. So I had some interest in it just because Logan Marshall Green is the star and he's been in a couple of things and I don't really necessarily like him uh, uh, as somebody that I would follow on a regular basis, but I, I saw The Invitation not too long ago, which is on Netflix, and I really enjoyed that movie. His role was very understated and muted in that film and obviously didn't show a, a, a huge range of emotion. And I'm starting to begin to, to wonder if he even has a range at all, because in this film, he escalates from one thing to another. And it doesn't necessarily show that there's a dramatic range. It just shows that I can get upset or I can stay relatively calm. And that's what he did is that he just, he would bounce from emotion to emotion. And there would be some moments that you thought were genuine. And then a lot of other moments that kind of just rang untrue. And you began to wonder, okay, is it the script? Is it is it the direction or is it just his acting? And honestly, it felt like it probably was a combination of all three because some of the dialogue in the movie was kind of ridiculous. But again, it's a low budget film. We're talking about a movie developed by uh, Bloomhouse. So, I mean, they they basically do these these type of things. They, they put out a, a film that's going to be low in, in, how, in cost, but it's probably going to have a bigger return because of how little it actually does cost them to make. Um, it did also star Betty Gabriel, I think is her name, from Get Out. And the whole premise basically is, is that there's a guy, Logan Marshall Green, his name is Gray, and he has a car accident. And in the car accident, he loses a loved one and he loses his ability to use his body. He becomes a, a quadriplegic. And he then comes across a guy who has the technology to enable him to walk again. And thus doing so, he wants to be able to find the people that killed or, or basically caused the car accident. And so then he goes on this killing spree with the aid of a Jarvis-like character named Stem. And honestly the best part of the film. Let me just talk about that first off. The very best part of the film was some of the camera work that 
kind of guided us along as his body under stem's control was able to fight for him because he'd be getting in these situations where he was going against these people that were either having information to give or were people that were part of the problem and he would fight them and then the way the camera moved it was it was attached to his body so in every direction and movement his body made the camera would jostle in those same directions and and rotate and twist and it was entertaining it was kind of a cool kind of uh nuance added to the fighting um overall though wow where the movie ends up going it's so predictable and so disappointing and you just keep thinking well you know with that with the ideas that are out there and with the money that could be made to make movies why wouldn't more original ideas come out of this type of thing and honestly when one section of the film and it had to be in the last 10 minutes when one part of it came up on screen I literally screamed in my head I wanted to say boo I wanted to say, this is ridiculous. Boo, this is horrible. I can't believe that they actually made a movie that has this as its resolve. And then, of course, they have a little still twist on that resolve. But man, just super disappointing. And honestly, it felt like there was a groan in the theater. Uh, Again, this is the night before opening day, so it wasn't hugely packed. And I doubt this movie will make much money. If anything, there will be a handful of people that will think it's, you know, be curious about the film and want to see what it's like, kind of like I did tonight. And honestly, it's probably going to drop in in value a lot week by week. So uh, that's the movie Upgrade. I was not a fan, and there it is. All right. So that was my watch list. Now, let's get into my feature commentary, my review on Solo, A Star Wars Story. You're after something. Is it revenge? Money? Or is it something else? You look good. A little rough around the edges, but good. Heard about a job. Big shot gangster putting together crew. I'm a driver, and I'm a flyer. I waited a long time for a shot like this. What do you think? Well, what do you know? You got a line on a ship? Yeah, I know a guy. He's the best smuggler around. I heard a story about you. I was wondering if it's true. Everything you've heard about me is true. L3! Let's go with a mean man's face. That was from the trailer of Solo, A Star Wars Story. And let me let me talk about the way that I felt going into this film. There's a lot of people out there that both have written and podcast about their feelings and being trepidatious about even wanting to see this film. And honestly, I didn't feel like there was a necessity for there to be a solo movie. Han Solo is a great character, but I felt like I got the gist of who he was and what I wanted to hear from him in the original trilogy. And then, of course, you know, an extension of him in Force Awakens. But, 
you know, why not? Right. I, I was game. And the way that they've been doing the Star Wars movies as of late, uh, I've really enjoyed. And they've been taking even some chances. I mean, if we look back at just this last winter, when Last Jedi came out, there was a lot of different types of approaches that they did with that film. And of course, it wasn't to everybody's liking. And I liked, though, for me personally, to see that the Star Wars universe can adapt and change and not necessarily stick to the same rules all the time. This movie is made for the people that were upset about Last Jedi. And this movie is made for the people who just like Star Wars the way that it's always been and not with any improvement or or chance or risk. Um, honestly, I, I originally thought that they were making a big change uh, when they first uh, hired directors Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. I was really excited about that because I'm a huge fan of the movies, you know, 21 Jump Street and... Uh, I really liked Lego movie for what it was. It's not my favorite film, but I loved it, what they did with it. It was definitely more than just the typical movie. And so I was excited to see what they would do with the star Wars film. I was a little bit interested to see how much humor they would be allowed to input. And obviously not much because that was the reason they were, or one of the reasons they were fired. According you know, to a lot of different reports, variety and other sources say that, they were un- unprofessional or it took a long time to uh, record situations on the, on the set and costing lots of money. Therefore, Kathleen Kennedy decided, you know what, we're going to take them off the project and bring in a more, uh, what's the word, uh, uh, your basic calibered uh, director, the one who can just start and stop and do exactly what the studio wants. And they found that in Ron Howard. And honestly, I'm a fan of Ron Howard's older work. I'm not loving everything he's been doing lately. Uh, I guess more recently, I, I do enjoy listening to him on Arrested Development. But again, it's not his directorial type work. So I, of his movies, you know, the older stuff is what I really uh, gravitate towards. So when they brought him on, I was semi excited, to say the least. I really hoped for big things from Lord and Miller, but I was willing to settle. So once they had that, and of course the the cast was not bad either. I mean, Alden and I can't pronounce his name. Alden Ehrenreich, Ehrenreich, something like that. Ehrenreich. I really liked him in Hail Caesar, and there wasn't a lot to like about the movie Hail Caesar by the Coen brothers, but he had a great moment between him and Ray Fiennes with uh, "Were it were so simple." Uh, <laughs> it was great. Twitter, Twitter, so simple, something like that. Anyway, his casting was fine. You know, I'll see. Okay, I'll give him a shot, see what he's got to offer the role. Honestly, I'm so disappointed. One of my biggest gripes about this film is that the entire time, it's wanting me to recall my emotions about Solo. And here I am trying to think of Solo and I, all I see is him and not Harrison Ford. And so there's a big distinct difference between the two. And he wasn't trying to do an impression of Harrison Ford, but I almost feel like he should have because it, it just didn't meld. It didn't feel like him. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't make sense to me. He didn't do a horrible job. Honestly, he's, he's a, he's a good actor. And so the acting on his part wasn't horrible. It just wasn't what would be in my eyes who Han Solo would be at that moment. And again, his age difference between where where 
Alden Ehrenreich is right now and Harrison Ford was when he first played Han Solo is not very different. It's probably a handful of years. So honestly, he should have been a lot more similar to what we were used to with Harrison Ford. The rest of the cast was good. I like Donald Glover as Lando. There's a couple scenes where I felt like they just took Lando's uh, egotistical nature a little bit too far. Um, they played it up and maybe these were the parts because I apparently, you know, Ron Howard shot 70 or reshot 70% of the film and 30% of it was left over from Lord and Miller. And maybe those were moments that Lord and Miller had. And if that's the case, then I'm kind of glad that those things didn't permeate the rest of the film. Although it's one of those situations that we'll never know what, what is better. Was it the original Lord and Miller version or this one that we have from, uh, Ron Howard, Amelia Clark. It's hard to talk about Amelia Clark's acting just because she's not great. Um, she's fine in this film. And in fact, this is probably one of the better films I think I've seen her in outside of her uh, Daenerys Stormborn Targaryen uh, role on Game of Thrones. But every single time I see her in something, she just doesn't carry the, the, the moment like I want her to. And this one she did. And I can't tell if it was set dressing or if it was actually her. But I feel like set dressing did a lot to help. Um, everybody else, Woody Harrelson, Thandie Newton, Paul Bettany, they seem to be enjoying themselves, but they were unremarkable. I would say even unmemorable. There were there was a lot of things that took place in this story, and I'll talk more about it in, in spoilers, but honestly, I just I didn't feel anything from those characters. I felt n- lack of emotional investment. Um, Bradford Young was even the cinematographer and there's a lot of good shots in the film, but at the same time, I have to even agree with my wife who saw the movie with me that she gets tired of these films that the camera's moving all over the place and you can hardly see what's on the screen. Things are so jarring. And honestly, I, you know, the whole time, cause we're watching this prequel of sorts, I wanted to see what kind of cameos were going to be thrown out into this thing. And on, and if there were more, then what the standard ones that I've heard of, at least that I recognized and then I confirmed online, if there were more than that, I, I didn't see them because the camera work was kind of all over the place. But it was a, it was a pretty picture. It looked good. So overall, let me just say I was disappointed. I, I got tired of the callbacks and the references. In fact, mo- it's, it's a payoff in services to a lot of people who really enjoy that type of thing. Um, and I remember hearing on this pod, this other podcast that I listened to that they referenced it uh, similar to how Family Guy, the TV show, references a lot of things. It's just a bunch of references. And, and if you are familiar with them, then it's funny. And if you're not, then it's not funny. And you can tell there was a lot of moments where a lot of people in my crowd were like, oh, you know, like they caught on to where this reference was coming from. But then they would do references for reference sake. And it... That is not a story. It's not. And honestly, the story of Han Solo could have been awesome because, you know, when we think of Star Wars, it's a space opera western, right? And so if this is the case, then he, they, we could have gone in a lot of different directions. And all these other films that we've watched, including Rogue One, have all been f- very Force-centric. And this could have been our first film that was non-Force-centric. And when we get into spoilers, I'll speak a little bit more towards that, but I wanted it to be more of this other type of film and not, and leave the episodic films to, to handle the force and, and things of that nature. 
But anyway, let me get on the spoilers because I'm going to start to say something I'm I'm going to regret, and I'm, I'm going to want to make sure that I'm I'm behind the veil of the spoilers. So my overall opinion again is it was it was an okay ride. I did not like it. I don't think I will ever want to see it again. Um, if anything, maybe a snippet here and there, but honestly, I felt bored throughout a lot of it and just kept waiting for things to pick up and the momentum never shifted and it just felt like it slogged. So anyway, let's get into spoilers for Solo, a Star Wars story starting right now. Okay. Now, now that we're in spoilers, let's talk about some of the things that I liked. The first thing that I thought was an enjoyable situation was when we first see Han meet Chewbacca. And I thought, oh, okay, this could be a fun situation. I'm interested to see how they would play this out. And this is post a lot of intro storyline. We first see Kyra and Han, who apparently have had in a relationship, but not sure exactly how deep the relationship is. But they have um, been split up. Han's been shipped off, or he escaped this planet, uh, what is it called, Corellia, where they've, you know, were, were basically orphan children are made to steal in order to survive. And so he is, is able to bribe his way off of the planet, but uh, Kyra is apprehended by her pursuers and she uh, can't board the same plane that Han gets on. And at this, let me talk about the dumb moment of this moment here. Han receives his last name. He's given a last name at this point in the show. And if we ever really wanted to know exactly how Han received the word solo as his last name, this is what basically happens. He is asked if he is traveling alone or if he has a family name. And so since he's by himself, the officer gives him the name Solo. Uh, it's an imperial officer that he actually joins the Empire uh, in the ranks. And it was just, it's so dumb. It's so dumb. Why couldn't his name just have been Han Solo? Why, why did it have to be described as a specific uh, reason that, oh, because he was by himself and, has, and had nobody else with him? That's so dumb. It's so dumb. Anyway. So he's on the Empire's team now, right? He's fighting in their infantry, and he is about to be uh, arrested for desertion and thrown into a pit and fed to this beast. And I don't know if anybody else saw it coming, but I totally saw this coming. I figured, well, you know, what beast could he possibly be thrown to? Had to be the Wookiee, right? So that's this is where we actually meet Chewbacca. And for the most part, I didn't hate it. I thought it was an enjoyable scene. And I thought, yeah, you know, Wookiees are crazy. They're dangerous and they can be. And, you know, always talking about ripping people's arms off. So I thought, yeah, I could, I could buy the Wookiee being, you know, this really bad beast that people are afraid of and have to feed constantly. That's the not the part that really bothered me. The, bo the part that bothered me the most is when Han starts speaking Wookiee in Chewbacca's language. And it just sounds ridiculous. We know that, that Chewbacca can understand English because we've seen Han speak to him in English. Now, I get it. There's probably a connection made when 
you think that this is going to be food and then the food starts to speak your language and you've made this different connection that makes you think, oh, maybe I shouldn't kill this person. I get that that's where they were going, but that's not exactly how it was delivered. I, I sensed that feeling and that that direction, but it came across so much stupider than than any of that. So... Then he finds this character named Beckett, who is uh, played by Woody Harrelson, who is uh, basically a pirate, smuggler, thief sort of thing. And he tries to get both he and or uh, Han tries to get himself and Chewbacca onto his team with Andy Newton, who ends up being Woody Harrelson's lover slash wife slash, you know, partner. And then, of course, a four armed legged something or other voiced by John Favreau. So this whole entanglement, right? This is another thing that bothered me. And I'm going to kind of jump and gather other items of information together. So I'm not going to go story beat by beat. But we know that there's going to be some kind of uh, wrongdoing by one to another. Like we're told in the trailer that Han should not trust anybody. There's going to be deception and people are going to be betrayed but never once in this film did they ever get me to really feel like Han was a, at a loss for anybody, anybody in this film. So the main twist at the very end, we find that Beckett betrays him, okay? Because he's got this coaxium that he's trying to fake sell to Voss, who's played by Peter, uh, Paul Bettany. Um, and it's actually the, the actual coaxium, which is even dumber when you start to think that they're their fight inside this room, they're shooting all this stuff and they have coaxium right there, which could really cause some damage. And he's, you know, going to be given this to this other group of, of marauders. But anyway, we know that Beckett's in on the, on the twist that Han's trying to pull on Voss. He's trying to make sure that the marauders get the, the coaxium and not Voss. And when we see Beckett pop up as this twist, as this, oh no, he's turned against Han, it doesn't matter. We don't care. It didn't hit me with any gusto, any kind of of, uh, malevolent type of feeling or attitude. It just was like, yeah, okay. And and the rest of the time, it's just like that. Kira has a, a moment just like that, where we know as Han's leaving and he says, Kira, you coming? You know, like we did all this together. We, you know, Kira killed for, for him, but in actuality, did she? No, of course not. She killed for herself because that's who she's been relying on the last three years and change, waiting not, and then not waiting for Han to show up. I just, I get, I get so tired that they think, oh my gosh, we've totally pulled the rug underneath your feet. And you didn't, none of that did it. It's so typical. It's so basic. It's not anything that's original or, or fun. Let's just say that that part of the movie was definitely not fun because, and, and honestly, a good twist of deception can be a lot of fun, but they did not pull it off. It was very disappointing. I I have a hard time too. We talk, we talking about this specific thing called fridging. I don't know if many of you are familiar with it. Um, it's a term coined by uh, I can't remember who actually came up with the term, but it's fridging is basically when you pigeonhole the the hero because uh, into doing something like his his whole motivation is given and drawn out based off of 
what happens to the female character in the story. So Deadpool 2 apparently has fridging in it because of what happens to his girl's character, right? The main girl character uh, played by Marina Baccarin, or I think that's what her name is. Uh, and then so he she's the motivation to push uh, Deadpool onto his adventure and do the things that he needs to do. So similarly, this is what's happening in Solo. Kira and Han were both together, both lovers, apparently, because they, you know, either that or they're friends with benefits, and they get split up, and now his whole mission is to come back and save her, and I hate that we still can't get past that. I didn't feel like it was as bad in Deadpool 2, but in this film, I felt like it was just so on the nose of every other film that's ever been done in in the general idea of a of a classic hero who needs to do things now based off of the motivation of his woman being hurt or separated from him. I don't know. It's just, it just really frustrated me that this is where star Wars sank to like, I get it. We, you know, we've had moments like that, but then we've, you know, we, when we see princess Leia be captured and they go to rescue her, but, but then when they get her, we see that princess Leia is pretty bad. A and she can take care of herself. So there's a lot of mixed uh, bag inside those older episodes, whereas this one is just very, very much blatantly. This woman can't do anything without help, and then of course she she tries to prove herself throughout the rest of the film. But again, it's not to any nuanced kind of way of 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 showing it to us. I don't know. I hope I'm not rambling. I'm just my thoughts are flying at 100 miles an hour, and it has been a couple of days since I've seen it, but. It was just, it was super disappointing to me. The other thing that really frustrated me was the way that they talked about the droids. We we know that there's L3, right? L337, which is Lando's droid, who's a co-pilot. She, this, this droid's character with a female voice, not necessarily is it a, a female droid, because I don't know how much of that is defined in this, but starts to talk about droid rights when we first meet this droid. And, you know, you really don't start thinking about, well, how have these droids really been treated throughout this entire show until she, this, this droid starts to complain about how droids are being treated. And then you start to think, whoa, droids in the, in the Star Wars movie-verse are kind of like slaves. The way that they're treated, they're traded, and they're... I don't know, like it started pulling out these parallels that were really um, heavy and deep. But then like the movie totally glosses over the whole thing and doesn't play up any of it. So here it's bringing up some some really heavy topics and it makes it fun. It's it turns it into this rebellion of sorts where these these droids that have been slaves to the uh to the people on Kessel, they just basically make it I don't, I don't know. I just make light of the situation and they never dive into it any deeper. And it just felt like inappropriate to talk about those type of things and not address them at all. I don't know. It make light of them even. And it just, it, that really bothered me. I, I would have to say also, not everything has to be explained. All right. When we talk about any of those oh, callbacks to the original trilogy, 
some things that were fun to see and some things that are like, oh, yeah, I remember that from the, the first or the second or the third or actually in the case of the original trilogy, the fourth, the fifth or the sixth. So, like, for an instance, one thing that they did not have to do was show the attire that Billy D. Williams wore as Lando in the Return of the Jedi when he went to undercover to retrieve Han Solo's body and to free him. They showed the the getup, and it was actually worn by Beckett. Now, how jacked up is that? Now, I, I was listening to this other podcast about this, and this is what really got me going on that, too. How would you like it if Lando Calrissian... And I'm Han Solo, who's been frozen in carbonite. And the first thing I see of Lando is he's wearing the the outfit that the guy that betrayed me long time ago was wearing. It just seemed really messed up and kind of dumb that they would use that for that instance. Why why not just put Lando in the outfit? Because it's his outfit. So that way we don't have any like weird back history about this thing where we're now starting to think that Han is like... <laughs> he would be emotionally scarred because of seeing somebody in this outfit again who who basically betrayed him. The other thing I didn't like was, why do we have to, again, explain why Han shot first? Now, we get it. We've seen the scene between him and Greedo uh, in episode four, where uh, even with all the doctoring that George Lucas has done, we know that Han shot first because that's the type of character he is. We don't need to see another situation of him shooting first. And we do when he shoots Beckett. I, I don't understand why we have to do that. Like it's already in our mind. It's just another dumb callback. And all it is, is it relies on that. And it cheapens that moment in the future when we see episode four. Because if you watch this chronologically, you're going to watch that scene and be frustrated with the idea that, oh, now we've seen it before. And now this is just a reiteration about it. Now, I cannot stop before mentioning at least what took place at the very, very tail end with Kyra's character and who she ends up communicating with. Now, after she has killed Voss, she makes a communication holographic uh, call to none other than Darth Maul, which at first I thought, oh, okay, cool, Darth Maul. We got Darth Maul in here. This is kind of a cool transition, uh, seeing him in here. But then I started to think of timelines, and I thought, well, when did when did this take place if Darth Maul's in this? Because Darth Maul died at the end of Phantom Menace, which was a long time ago, obviously, because we were talking about the age of, you know... Uh, Darth Vader and how old Anakin was, and so, like, for him to be alive still, like, how does that work? So apparently... With having done some research, I had to look up and see this is a storyline that's more or less derived from the cartoon series Star Wars Rebels because apparently Darth Maul, when he was killed, he wasn't quite killed enough <laughs> to actually die. And uh, he was able to repair his lower half with uh, robotic uh, torso. Uh, apparently it started off as like more spider legs and then he was able to transition that into two mechanical legs. But, and of course now that, you know, there's a, there's Darth Vader. And so there's, or at least even after Darth Maul, there was, or Count Dooku was the next type of uh, Sith Lord that was there. And then of course, Darth Vader. So now that there's a, another Sith, there's only two at a time. So he is now just known as Maul. And honestly, I, I, I am kind of interested to see where they head with this 
story. But at the same time, I think, come on, guys. This is our opportunity to tell a standalone story without having to dabble too much into anything dealing with the Force. Leave the Force, like I've said before, to the episodic moments and and focus primarily on things outside of that scope. And honestly, I can't wait until we see some of these other movies from Ryan Johnson or from uh, the uh, the guys that did Game of Thrones who they've hired to do some Star Wars stuff just because I want to see anything outside of the Skywalker universe. I just want to see something more original and, and less such a, a tying things together just for for the sake of doing it. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention too before we were done is the infamous line where, of course, we, he says he's done the Kessel Run in uh, less than 12 parsecs or something of that nature. And, of course, this is the nerdy side of me. And, of course, this is why I know this. I don't necessarily uh, – I didn't do all the research when I first saw the movie. But, you know, to understand what he means by that is parsecs is not – it's not time. It's distance. And so in the movie, we have, we see that he's trying to transfer this coaxium uh, over a course of distance – and he has to do it quickly because otherwise the coaxium is going to uh, discombobulate the entire ship and blow up and really cause some issues. So the 12 parsecs portion is that he actually had to cut across sections of the universe area of that of that sector that's super dangerous and not necessarily as straightforward as a, as a, pa- a paved way to the exit. And so... They utilized L3 for this, and a lot of people are having issues with that, too, if you haven't heard, where all this stuff about droids and their rights and that sort of thing, and now here she, here's L3, it's it's died, and we had this really highly emotional scene with Lando grieving over the loss of L3, and he immediately plugs it into the, the Millennium Falcon, and now the Millennium Falcon can run off the AI and it uses it for navigation. Now, what the crap? Like, why is it that we've never seen this before or ever had any kind of uh, idea that AI is a section or a part of any of these ships? I mean, that would have solved everything with Luke at the very beginning, or I'm sorry, at the end of 4, where he's trying to shoot the the proton uh, torpedoes, unless that's a Star Trek reference. <laughs> <laughs> trying to shoot those those torpedoes into that that one little sl- small slotted area where he could have just had some AI do it for him. He wouldn't have to have use the force to know exactly when to shoot. And I don't know. It just seems kind of ridiculous and and far fetched. And of course, from what I understand, they've been working on these the storyline for a while. The Kasdans have apparently been thinking about. Uh, writing this and putting ideas down at least for the last 10 years. And I read where George Lucas actually was thinking about it since 2012. So, I mean, this is a, a brainchild of the Kasdans who in Kasdan, I almost trusted because he had Empire Strikes Back from his pen. So I thought, well, you know, if the guy had, you know, who really formulated who Han Solo was and gave us the best Star Wars film out there, how bad can Solo be if it's from his same, from the same person? Anyway, apparently it can be pretty bad. It's just, there's so many things about this film that were frustrating. And I, I want to say that there was some fun to be had, but honestly, there's not a lot of fun to be had. I can't remember feeling fun uh, throughout most of the film. So 
Anyway, I could go on and on. And honestly, I know some of you are probably thinking you're nitpicking every little piece of, uh, and part of this film. And that's, what's frustrating about it is that I don't want to, I don't want to nitpick. I want to enjoy the film. I came in thinking, Oh, it's another star Wars film. How lucky are we to have a star Wars film, um, in December. And now six months later in this month, and it just ended up being a disappointment to me. So in the end, check it out for yourself. Maybe you're a fan of the type of family guy humor where you got the references and they make the the moments for you. And that's great. And if it is your cup of tea, then enjoy. It just wasn't mine. And if you uh, don't like that sort of thing, then I've got a feeling you probably won't like this movie if you haven't seen it and you're still listening through the spoiler section. So anyway, with that, we'll close. If you have any feedback or suggestions for upcoming episodes, please email me at filmmakerjohn, that's J-O-N-John, at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at filmunhinged, and please rate and review me on Apple iTunes. You can find me on Stitcher and Google Play, and every rating and review really helps. So, again, thanks for listening, and have a great week.